Welcome to BIV Today, the daily business podcast from the newsroom of business in Vancouver. I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor-in-chief. This podcast is part of a three-episode series this week coinciding with Earth Day that's examining how businesses are contending with the challenges of meeting the goals of a net-zero economy and climate change. And today, I want to take a look at a business alliance that's raising some awareness and changing the practices of the manufacturers of large appliances uh, to uh, more sustainably produce and dispose of them, and of course, customers to deal with them too. Michael Zarbel is the executive director of an entity called the Major Appliance Recycling Roundtable, MAR. And we're gonna talk about his work and all this. Good to see you, Michael. Hey, thanks, Kirk. Nice to, nice to see you. Let's uh, let's start off with, uh, you know, what what uh, MAR really is up to in all of this, because I, I want to certainly explore what the awareness and concern was, but, but uh, fill us in here on, sure. in general, what you're up to. Yeah, so MAR is a producer responsibility organization, or what some people might refer to as a stewardship organization. And uh, we're responsible uh, for managing the end of life appliances. You know, in BC, there's legislation now that requires producers to manage their end of life products. And you've seen it with oil and paint and light bulbs and electronics. And BC now has a program for large appliances or white goods, as many people refer to them as. Yeah, and and so um, tell us a little bit about how how the actual system works a bit. Sure. So we're our organization was formed by uh, the Association of Home Appliance Manufacturers and the Retail Council of Canada. The appliance manufacturers and retailers are the obligated producers under this legislation, and so they've created MAR in conjunction with each other to to basically manage it for them. So each retailer. Each manufacturer doesn't have their own recycling program. They they created MAR, and MAR fulfills their obligation with respect to the recycling regulation. And and uh, so we collect like a fee, um, you know, as you imagine, like when you buy a TV or anything else, when you buy a, a fridge or a freezer now, you'll be charged a, an environmental fee. We call it an administrative that's that program. Fee. That's where the fee goes, is it? That's uh, good to know. That's That's where the fee goes. Good. Yeah. Okay. So the fee comes to us like, you know, so that that money that you're paying doesn't go to the retailer. It doesn't go to the government. It's not a tax. It comes to us and we use that money to pay for the recycling. So we have 199 collection sites throughout the province. And when you drop it off there, it's free. Like, it, it, you know, before MAR existed, you would have had to pay in many cases to drop off a fridge, especially anything with the refrigerant in them. There's a cost mm-hmm. to remove that refrigerant. And when you brought it to the dump or the landfill or the transfer station or the recycling depot they often charge you like 20 or 25 bucks to drop off a fridge you don't pay that anymore now mar pays that for you so it's free drop off uh, for the consumer which is really good how did how did all the standards come into place to make sure that really we're dealing with first of all some safety uh, Mm -hmm. for people and all of this because some of the you know ozone depletion uh, is is not exactly safe to handle um, right. and those, those types of things how, how did the standards get uh, get created so there there's a, a protocol the Montreal protocol was established in the 80s and that you know requires uh, everybody to not release ozone depleting substances into the environment it doesn't matter if you're a refrigeration technician or an air conditioning guy or you know, a large company with uh, rooftop air conditioners on your roof, automobiles. Uh, and you probably remember, uh, I was old, I'm was i old enough to remember when they stopped using 
CFCs and spray cans and spray paint and things like that. They were uh, it was used. It was used in a lot of places, mostly as a blowing agent. That's why the spray paints had it as well. So the the CFCs are no longer in use. They haven't been in use since the Montreal Protocol, um, and they've switched over to HFCs or hydrofluorocarbons. I don't want to get too technical because it'll make everything too boring. But um, the HFCs are a lot less. They they are no longer ozone depleting substances, but they're still they still have a high greenhouse warming potential. Like you know. Um, but even that, like uh, the old gases they used to use uh, 30 years ago had uh, over 10,000 uh, times more global warming potential than carbon. And now the gases that they use are, are down to 1,400. And actually, uh, as of this year uh, in, in Canada and the US, we've stopped using uh, HFCs even, and they've switched to um, like a butane-based gas in the refrigerant systems. Uh, and those ones are have a, a global warming potential of three versus fourteen hundred versus ten thousand. So, from that perspective, they they've done a really really good job. They're no longer using you know the the manufacturers are no longer using um, ozone depleting substances for refrigerant, and the ones that they are using are even really low global warming potential. So, a lot of this innovation is driven by you know people that want to see and care about the environment and want improvements and that's driving it right like you know you, you say you're old enough to remember when cfcs were being used i'm old enough to remember covering the montreal environmental conference that created the montreal protocols oh, wow um, now, now, <laughs> uh, but i, I want to ask uh, the one thing that still worries me a lot is is scrap metal mm -hmm. like where where all of that goes and so what does mar do to make sure that 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 gets properly recycled so all the all the mar collection sites uh when they take your appliances in after the refrigerant is removed the metal can then be recycled and they go to metal recyclers we have many metal recyclers that are mar collectors so first of all every mar collector has to sign uh the mar standards like we have our processing standard that they have to follow uh, you mentioned safety before they have to be like a certified site like they can't be a non-approved uh, site like in metro vancouver you have to be licensed to run a scrap yard or anything like that so they have to have wcb coverage they have to you know follow the safety rules they have to use safety equipment um so there's all these standards and they have to make and they have to recycle the metal and the appliances in an environmentally sound manner and they actually tell us where they bring the metal to which which scrap metal recycler they bring it to and we make sure that those guys are all part of the mar processing standard as well so most of the metal recycling organizations the reputable ones in the province are all part of the mar processing standard and you'll see their mar sign when you go into that site usually at the scale house there'll be a, a mar sign saying that they're signed on to our processing standard you use the term reputable um are there a fair number still of non-reputable people in this place? I, I really couldn't say. I know, you know, I don't want to slag anybody and I don't want to say if you're not a Mar uh, metal recycler that you're not doing it right. But, you know, there was like everybody, we always hear rumors like, you know, are they really collecting the gas? Are they just cutting the lines and releasing it? You know, what are they doing with the stuff? And, and uh, so, you know, all I can speak to is the, the MAR sites are all part of this standard. They all have to collect the gas. They, they actually, once they collect the gas and they bring these tanks with the, whether it's the ozone depleting substance, or even if it's just the 
hydrofluorocarbons that are like a greenhouse gas that are used for refrigerants. They collect them and then they bring them back to a place that uh, uh, either recycles that gas or destroys it. So there's a way that you can destroy these CFC gases with, with like, it's, an, it's a high heat incineration and that actually separates the molecules. And when you separate the, the, the chlorine and the fluorine molecules, they're no longer harmful to the, uh, to the ozone layer. So basically they have to prove that they brought it back to a facility. And there's a number of refrigerant processing uh, wholesalers in the province where they bring it to and they get a receipt from the wholesaler that and every tank has a serial number on it so mm-hmm. all of these tanks are are registered they when they get when they bring them back they get a receipt saying that tank abc was brought back on on april 5th and and then they provide us with that documentation to prove that it was brought back to a wholesaler and then those wholesalers are all part of a national program um uh, it's called a refrigerant management corporation or something rmc it's called and they they're managed by the actual producers of the refrigerant. So they make sure it gets uh, properly recycled and disposed of. So these are great details. Uh, what kind of volume are we talking about here every year? We did about last year, I think we, we did around 120,000 fridges and, and probably about 40 or 50,000 freezers. So we're talking like a couple hundred thousand uh, units. And, uh, you know, each unit has a few ounces of, of gas in them. I, I, I don't have it off the top of my head what the exact amount of kilograms of gas that we collected last year, but um, it probably you could probably find it in our annual report. Um, mm-hmm. I just don't remember the number off the top of my head. I think we report on that. Uh, it, we're, we're into the weeds a little bit. I, I want to make yeah. sure that we get broad brush strokes of all of this, mm-hmm. Michael, because mm-hmm. it's very important work. I'm, but how do you think, you know, you've watched this now for some time. How, how do you think producers have changed their own attitudes about this? Because I would have assumed that maybe back in the day, um, producers simply were getting the manufacturing done. They were trying to look for the lowest price point in order to be competitive in a market. They were, you know, aggressively marketing it, but they didn't probably think about 15 or 20 years later or 10 years later when when the appliance was going to run its course and what was going, what, what would be their own responsibility for that? Um, have they changed their behavior considerably? A uh, hundredfold. I mean, it's, it's like night and day, like, you know, like the, you know, initially when these extended producer responsibility programs were being created in, in, in Europe and in North America, we've had them in BC now for 30 years. Like, you know, we started with tires and bottles and, things like that. But, uh, you know, we Mars been around for 10 years now. And, you know, prior to these regimes existing, yeah, it, it was like, yeah, the, the person who bought the appliance or the product had to dispose of it. And usually you brought it to your local government site and you paid for it either in your taxes or in a fee. Now that the onus is being put back on the producers, whether it's large appliances, small appliances, paint, all these things are, are having to be now, uh, produced in an environmentally friendly manner. Like, you know, they're not only is it because they're paying the cost, but it's just being demanded by the public. I mean, the public nowadays wants products that are good for the environment. And if they can't be, they're expecting them to be, you know, properly managed. And I think it's, uh, you know, a lot of people talk about greenwashing and, and how producers are, are just greenwashing. And I don't see it that way. Having worked in, in the recycling and waste industry for like 11 years now, I, I used to work for waste management, the largest, you know, garbage and recycling company in the world. And, and, uh, you know, I, and I also uh, was the director of operations for 
for Cycle BC, which is our blue box program in, in the province of BC. And I ran that before taking over MAR five years ago. And all these producer responsibility organizations are recycling the product. And I, and I think that's important for me to get that message out, not just for MAR's sake, but for all of the stewards in the province, because there's a lot of bad press where, you know, someone will film a bundle of plastic that ends up going to landfill or something like that. And they just assume it's it, all of our recycling. And, and oftentimes those, those odd, those one-off cases are not product being managed by the stewards. The, the, man, the product being managed by the stewards is being sent to landfill. Uh, sorry, is not being sent to landfill. It's being managed in an environmentally sound manner. And the government monitors us. Like we have to, we submit a plan every five years. Every year we have to publish an annual report and, and we have to demonstrate that we're managing it. And we have, you know, we set targets for ourselves that we have to meet. And, uh, you know, and the government, uh, we're also subjected to third party audits. So we have an accounting firm that comes in and audits us every year. They audit our financials, but they also audit the numbers that we're claiming. You know, if I say I recovered this, these many fridges and I have 199 sites in the province, they actually audit all those uh, things that were to make sure that we're actually telling the truth. So, uh, you know, well, yeah. That's a that's a, a fair amount of oversight. Uh, what I what I wonder, uh, and do you have in your mind a, a sense of how much how successful a program like Mar is in capturing um, the appliances that need to be recycled? You know, can, do you have a, even a guess on what that would, might be? We we did studies in the past, and and it's um, you know knowing how much is out there to collect is the problem. You know, we know what we've collected. And we report on that every year on, uh, you know, by we have 17 product categories and we report, you know, on how many fridges we collected, how many stoves. You can see the pictures up there behind me, you know, uh, oven range hoods and dishwashers. And I mean, we report by category what we collect. Um, but the question is, yeah, how many of them were out there to collect? And so we, we do surveys every year. Um, we do an annual uh, survey where we, we, we survey like, you know, a statistically valid number of people in the province. And we ask a number of questions in these surveys, but one of them is, did you have a large appliance to recycle this year? So based on that, we can, you know, it's, it's a large uh, assumption, but we can make an assumption on how many appliances are available. If, you know, if 20% of the respondents say they, they recycled uh, or, or got rid of a, not, not even recycled, just we ask them if they got rid of one or had one to get rid of. So, it gives us an idea of how many, and and we can estimate what our capture rate is, if you will, um, you know, because we know we sell like you know roughly 1.2 million of large appliances in the in the province uh, every year. That number fluctuates, but it's around that number, 1.2 million, and so we know how many we sell. We know potentially how many we're um, we're going back based on our survey, and then we can estimate what our capture rate is of those. And it's quite high. We're in the 90s. Uh, 90 percentile yeah so but it, again it's not an exact number it's an assumption that we have to make because it's it's uh you know you don't know because because they're it's different than like a can of coke or something where you you buy a can of coke and usually within a couple of weeks you've drunk it and brought it back to the recycling depot there's a higher quicker turnover in you know a cereal box and things like that whereas large appliances last from 10 to 25 years depending you know like and and so I, I you know the washing machine I had installed today in my house I don't know when it's going to die and have to be returned so you really don't know when um, you know how many appliances are ready to be landfilled or or 
recycled every year how many get landfilled how many don't but i can tell you this we do um, uh, waste audits we do audits in in conjunction with the stewardship association of bc which we belong to uh, it's all the stewards in the province and we have an association of our own and we pay uh, companies to do waste audits for us and so that we can see if any of our product is ending up in in the landfill and mar product because they're so large and because they're metal and there's a value in that metal there's never a large appliance in in going into the garbage and even when people show up at the landfill they don't throw it in the landfill they you know you show up and, I, and that's why i always say oh when you bring it to the landfill but i want to clarify that we're not actually burying it in the landfill a lot of landfills in the province of bc take stewarded product as well and separate them and and so if you show up at the Kelowna landfill you're not uh, or, or the Vancouver landfill, you're not throwing it in the ground. They take, they, t- they send you to the metal pile and they, and, and then they have it managed there. So, you know, exactly. I mean, and I imagine that, uh, as, as a lot more appliances become, um, internet based, right. Uh, that you, you'll be able to track, uh, where they are and when they're, when they're due to get, uh, get recycled. Um, a couple, couple of other things before we conclude, I, I wonder you know, in, in in looking at this uh, as as you have, um, where did the push most come from uh, in order to succeed here? Did it come from government? Did it come from industry, or did it come from the ground up from people? I think it comes from the people, which then causes the government to put in legislation. I think you're seeing that now. Um, you know the. the the current list of products that the province of BC is looking at regulating. And I think mattresses is the next one. And we've all driven around the alleys in Vancouver and see mattresses everywhere because right now you've got to pay uh, whatever it is, 20 bucks to get rid of a a mattress and nobody wants to pay it. So they dump it in the, in the alley. So now you've got Mm -hmm. mattresses all over the place. And so it usually comes from that type of push with Mar. I think it came because the public was having to pay, 20, 25 bucks to get the appliances uh, drained of the refrigerant. And that's where that push came from. So it, it usually comes from the push from the public and then the government reacts and passes legislation requiring it to happen. But I, I must say that in that case, yes, but the the producers of the appliances have been making the appliances more environmentally friendly on their own for decades now. You know, they've been making them more energy efficient uh, you know, a washing machine and a dishwasher use a fraction of the, the water that they used to use. They use, a, you know, you all see the EnerGuide sticker on your fridge when you buy it now. And and they all come. I just peeled the sticker off the washing machine I had delivered today. It's funny. I, we were having this interview and I had a frid, uh, washing machine delivered to my house today. And I had to peel off that EnerGuide sticker. And, you know, and they're proud of it. They've, they're, they're using uh, less harmful materials. They're, they're using less water, less electricity. And, and, and they're using refrigerants that are not as harmful to the environment. And that all happened without EPR. So EPR may accelerate it, but the producers were already going there on their own. I think because of the public demand for environmental and green practices nowadays, it's a, I mean, look what's happening all over the world with the Canada, Canada Plastics Pack and Ellen MacArthur Foundation, all these organizations you see now, the producers are getting involved and they're making plastic containers and plastics that are environmentally friendly and they're demanding the use of um, recycled content and all that. So it's a whole green wave that's coming. And, and, and I think the manufacturers and the retailers are, have already been riding that wave. And I think they know that to do business in, in certainly in, 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 in 
Western countries and North America that they it's expected of them to uh, yeah. to do what they can. I mean, I, I certainly notice now that when I go to shop for an appliance, uh, one of the things that gets pitched to me is its environmental footprint. It's not simply price point or uh, speed or you know, whatever. It's it's, uh, it's that. Um, last last issue. Um, one thing that we're looking at at business in Vancouver in in the print edition this week and. Uh, and that we're asking uh, in, in this series of podcasts is about optimism. And uh, you, you talk very passionately about your role. And, and I want to ask whether you're really optimistic that we're going to be able to do this, that we, we can meet our targets uh, and our goals of, of trying to get to that net zero economy and, uh, uh, and reach some of the goals that we've set out for ourselves as a country with climate change. You know, that's a really tough question. And I, I'm confident. I think we have to be. If we throw in the towel and say we're never going to get there, well, then we won't get there. So I'm always kind of a glass half full person. And I think if we all pitch in, you know, do our part and and keep pushing, you know, whether it's uh, in the products we buy, um, you know, and, and when we voice our concerns in public or with our friends and family, that's where it starts. It starts in your own home, you know, like the reducing and reusing and, and you know, like we if, we've got to stop you know, just taking, taking, taking and not recycling. And I think if we, if we have that optimism and we keep working and everyone takes part, I think that's the key. And, and Mar spends a lot of our budget on, on, you know, making sure that we get that message out there. Um, I think that's an important part. And it's actually something that the ministry requires in our stewardship plans too. They want to know what we're doing to increase consumer awareness. So it's supported all around by the, the producers, the government, uh, local government, and I think uh, we all have to work together to, to, to you know, create that awareness, to create that that push, if you will, to get people to get on board and use those reusable bags and buy the appliance that's environmentally friendly. And you know, I think that's the key. All right. Well, I'll take that as a conditional yes. Yeah, it sounds like yeah, a conditional. I would yes. say yeah. I'm optimistic. Yeah. Um, right. Sorry, okay, great. that's my long-winded answer. You know, but. Yeah, I'm optimistic. I see, like, I, I work in this industry, and I've and I see every day passionate, dedicated people that are working to do the right thing. And uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it, it sounds like you've you've got your head totally into it, and uh, you're very, very passionate. It's been a great conversation, Michael. I really want to thank you for your time today. My pleasure, uh, Kirk, and you know, I thank you for having me on the show. It's great. Michael Zarp was the executive director of the Major Appliance Recycling Roundtable. This has been a part of our three episode series of podcasts this week, looking at climate change, looking at the challenges and how they're being met and being approached by business uh, as part of uh, the Earth Day week celebrations. Um, I'm Kirk LaPointe, publisher and editor in chief of business in Vancouver. Thanks for watching.